now um, that video that we just had, you know, the giving thanks in the good and the bad. Um, we're going to take a look this morning as we prepare for communion uh, at um, kind of a, a quick using as an example uh, David from the Bible. Now David was uh, a man who was very well, um, what's the word I want, very well uh, uh, involved and had a great idea of what it meant to have good things happen in life and bad things. Um, sometimes we can think about David that, boy, he had just had, it was just great for him. I'm not sure, it's hard to tell when you read the Bible account how much of his life were things really good and how much of his life were things really bad. But uh, he spent a good chunk of his life when things weren't good. Um, he grew up as a, a boy with a father who had many uh, herds, which would have been like lambs or sheep in that sense. And David's job was a shepherd. And so he grew up as a shepherd boy. Now, what that meant was, and this is a weird thing because I don't think we would ever do that today, but he obviously wasn't an adult yet. He was a boy. And I don't know if that means he was a boy of 10, 11, 12, 13. I don't know how old he was for sure. But he would go for not just days, but probably weeks at a time all, all by himself. So he had a lot of alone time. Um, he had an awful lot of responsibility at a very young age. Um, responsibility that we wouldn't even begin to understand today. That his father would put him in charge of all of his flocks and send him out in the wilderness with those sheep and David was responsible to make sure that they got fed properly, lead him to the proper pastures, that he was also responsible to make sure that they found water, and to protect them from predators that would come. And David's father put that responsibility in him as a boy. Um, with lots of alone time came lots of time to think, because when you're out in the wilderness and all you have is sheep around you, nobody's talking to you. So I'm sure he had a lot, a lot of time to churn things around in his mind to think. There were lots of scary times, I'm sure, too, as a boy. You're alone, number one, not bad enough during the daytime, but you didn't go home at night. You were there with the sheep overnight as well. So he spent many a night in the dark, who knows what the weather was like, always aware that there were predators that would love to make uh, dinner out of the sheep that were ferocious. You know, they had lions, and they would have had bears. They were, and no tigers, though, that I know of, okay? Um, but along with those scary times, there were also, I'm sure, glorious times. Glorious times. Alone, out in the wilderness, in the midst of God's magnificent creation. He would have had the opportunity to break over a hill and find a, a place where there was a spring of water and what that would mean in an arid place there. And just, I'm sure, he had time to, to reflect on those things. Uh, God's creation... Um, when you're alone at night and he was watching over the sheep on a clear night, he could look up in the sky with absolutely zero stray light. And I'm assuming that the stars were just brilliant. And he was able to look up at those things and, and see God in that. The other thing that we know about David, I'm going to talk about in a minute, David was a worshiper. And I think he probably learned how to worship when he was with the sheep in the wilderness with nobody around to listen other than God. I'm assuming and believing that there were times that he would sing and praise God in the wilderness by himself, and it was not for show, and it was not for anybody else to hear because there was nobody other else to hear there, and he just worshipped and praised his God. The only people that could hear him were the predators and the sheep. As he grew up, one of the things that happened to him is he became 
the servant of the king, Saul. And that came about. Saul was plagued by an evil spirit that used to come and torment him. And David was called to the palace with his harp to play his harp to soothe the king. And it would work. The other thing that used to happen to him was that as he kept going on and he showed his faithfulness, he became a warrior in the army of King Saul. And the Bible gives us accounts that where Saul had killed his thousands, David had killed his ten thousands. So he wasn't just a commander of the army, he actually got into the nitty-gritty of the fighting. And he was a very valiant, successful warrior. He was renowned by the people. The people loved him, even as a servant of King Saul. Sad thing that happened in the midst of that too. Eventually he became despised by King Saul, the man that he was serving, the man that he was giving everything for selflessly, didn't trust him anymore. Thought that he was out to take the kingdom from him. And he was paranoid. And as, as Saul despised him and, and looked to, actually got to the spot where he wanted to kill him. And it forced David to actually have to leave the palace and leave the, the life that he knew and flee for his life, not for a period of like a month or a week, but for years. He was on the run. When he was on the run, it took him to various places, living in caves, living out in the wilderness with a band of, of supporters. Took him to foreign countries where he lived for a while to try to get away from Saul and his men. And in that midst of the time, Saul was accusing him of all kinds of things that weren't true about him. He had done nothing but been faithful and looked out for the best interest of Saul and the best interest of the country. Yet Saul thought that he was something else, that he was a traitor. The Bible also tells us that David is the only person that says this about. Now, they're not saying other people aren't that way, but it's a huge compliment. God says he was a man after God's own heart, man after God speaking, man after my own heart. God said this about him, that he will do whatever I show him to do. In other words, he was obedient no matter what the cost was. And God goes on to not just make him the king of his people, but he called him, I'm calling him to be the shepherd of my people. He became king. And when he, under his, his uh, rule, they, the, the country, of, he was able to take their, their armies out and they defeated all the enemies of the Israelite people. At the end of David's reign, there was peace. There was no, no, nobody coming in and marauding and all those things there. They were powerful and nobody messed with them as a result of David's uh, work with the army. As a king, he had anything that he wanted. It's a little different than today. When you were a king back then, and he had gotten to that spot where they had defeated all the enemies, and they had great riches, and they had people paying tax, taxes to them, he could have anything he wanted. The Bible tells us, too, as a king, he followed God's ways, and he was led by God's instruction. Another fact and truth about David, David was a man in need of redemption. Now we all are, but we're very clearly made, true, made, made aware of some of the faults in David's life. There was a spot where he was caught, tempted, and succumbed and committed adultery with another man's wife. And if that's not bad enough to try to cover up when she became pregnant, to try to cover that up, he orchestrated the murder of that woman's husband at the hands of an enemy army. In other words, it wasn't bad enough that he didn't go and kill him himself. He had it put in such a way that other people killed him needlessly. 
Interesting thing, though. You say, how can that be a man after God's own heart? The moment that he was made aware of what he had done wrong, he immediately sought God's forgiveness, immediately, very humbly. In fact, his statement was, I have sinned against you, O God. He didn't even go into the fact that he had sinned against Uriah, that he had sinned against the people. He talked, I have sinned against you. And he recognized where his guilt was. And God did indeed forgive him. As he continued on as king, you'd think that that would be the culmination of a, of a, a, one, of a life led through and it went well, but well, later on in his kingship, he had his own sons conspire against him, executed a coup, a coup, a coup against him, got other people to go along with him, got the people swayed in his position and declared himself king over David. And yet again, what happened? It forced David again to have to flee the life he knew. He left the palace, he left Jerusalem, and went into hiding again. If that's not bad enough, how, the thing of this at the hands of his own son, not only did he execute a coup against his father and tried to kill him, sending him back into hiding, he also slept with his father's concubines in broad daylight on a tent on top of the palace just to make himself definitely very odious and bad towards his father in front of the people. So they would know that he meant business, that he was defying his own father. And all those things, I mean, David ends up, his son ends up being killed in battle. He comes back and he ends up dying as the king renowned. And God measures every king, every king after that, according to my servant David. He's the, he's the comparison. That they either did or they did not do, um, they did not, either they did or did not live righteously according to my servant David. David was real. He was genuine. And like I said, if he is not, he is definitely one of the greatest worshipers to ever live. Not that there's a competition for that. But David, actually it's clear that one of the parts, the, the integral parts of his life was worshiping and praising his, law, praising his Lord. And not for show. It was something that was genuine and real. He was expressive with his emotions and expressive with his actions in worship. He was not the kind of a person that would just sit in a worship service this morning and just sit still and sing the words. He would have, when he was moved in his spirit, he expressed himself with his body and his voice and his hands. He truly loved God with everything that was within him. There was a time when he came in, they were bringing the, the, the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem where it belonged. And after they had made a mistake with that, and then they finally got it right when they were bringing it in, the Bible says that he was mightily worshiping and praising the Lord. And that doesn't mean his voice was booming. He was dancing with all his might before the Lord. And you have to let that picture come forth right now. Dancing with all your might. Not because there was great music going on, but because he was doing it before the Lord as an expression of worship. And when his own wife saw him coming into the outskirts of Jerusalem and saw him dancing like crazy, when she finally caught up to him when he came home, she ridiculed him, made fun of him, told him that he was undignified, that he made a fool of himself. And it's interesting. Instead of rebuking her or anything else, he just said one simple thing. He said, in worship and praise of my Lord, I'll be even more undignified than that. In other words, you are not going to stop me from worshiping and praising my Lord, and I don't care what you think or anybody else thinks. This is before the Lord, and I'll, if that's what it costs, I'll be even more undignified. <clears throat> He expresses it all. 
David expresses it all. Pain, joy, thanksgiving, and need. We know that he, reading um, his writings and the different things about him, that he continuously was reflecting on God's word. Not only was he praising and worshiping God, he was the kind of a man who had studied on his own and read and reread and read and reread God's word, and he constantly churned that around in his mind. He was continually trying to find words to express how important and the value that he saw in God's word. Psalm 119 in the Bible, longest chapter in the Bible. Um, I can remember early on in my Bible reading exploits, getting to Psalm 119 and going, oh my gosh, I've got to read all of that because it takes like three, four, five pages long. But as I went back and looked at it over the last couple of weeks again, boy, is it ever rich. Now, <clears throat> there's not 100% agreement on who wrote Psalm 119, but there seems to be a fairly strong agreement that it probably was King David. He didn't pen his name on there but they said there is so much in Psalm 119 that is either verbatim or exactly the way that David wrote the other Psalms. So I'm going to say that I I believe that he he wrote Psalm 119. And in that Psalm 119, they were his passionate words to God himself regarding the word that God had given him. He says in different spots in there that the word of God was his delight. What he was basically saying is, God, your word brings me great enjoyment, great pleasure, and great, believe it or not, another word, great amusement, to the point of actually making him laugh. And I can picture David not just having joy and, wow, this is awesome, but being moved to actually chuckle at things about what God would say and do. He often says, too, that your word of God, your word is precious, which meaning he was saying it was good, it was pleasant, beautiful, excellent, and lovely. He also realized that God's word, ready, was the key to seeking ultimate purpose in life. We've talked about this before. When I first, we talked about the ultimate purpose in life and all those questions that everybody asks. David recognized that all the questions that human beings ask, what's the ultimate purpose? What's the ultimate source of life? He recognized that the key to seeking the answer to that question was found in the word of God. He loved the Word. He actually had an emotional attachment to it. He had this intense desire to be immersed in God's Word. His heart and his mind couldn't get enough of God's Word. It was something that he craved and longed for and would immerse himself in, but couldn't get enough of it. It brought him great joy and gladness, cheerfulness, and like I said, even even laughter. All of that from a man who had everything, humanistically speaking, that he wanted. Yet he had this craving and longing that couldn't be satisfied. It was, it was not, not that it couldn't be satisfied, but he longed and continually pursued God's word and felt that that was the most important thing that a person could have. Now we're going to switch here a bit. We've got some, um, a little participation going on. We've got some people that are going to share some, the words of David and I would encourage you to listen to the wording of it. Feel the emotion and feel the passage, passion if you can, as if David were speaking. I'd encourage you to take the time, even if it takes you all week long, to read through Psalm 119, the whole thing. Especially as we have been talking so much about the Word of God 
And let David's words about that speak to you. Like I said, you may not be able to read it in all in one setting because it gets long, not long and not interesting, but if you break it into smaller pieces like that, a little bit here, a little bit there each day, it's split into different little sections. Read those sections a little bit at a time, and uh, I think it will richly bless you. Got a couple of what-ifs about David. First off, all that David had when we talk about where the God, he didn't have this whole thing. First off, the New Testament didn't even exist, hadn't even happened yet. There was actually an awful lot of things that are recorded in the Bible that hadn't happened yet. And actually a good chunk of that which had happened hadn't been written yet. Okay, All he had was the Old Testament and not even all of that. It's likely that when he's talking about your word, your laws, your precepts, your commands, all of those things, that all he was talking about would be the first five books of the Bible. Which in all reality, you and I like Genesis and we like Exodus, but when we get to Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, we kind of say, oh boy. That's what he was talking about. He was on to something. He had, all he had was that, those first five books. He probably had, he may have had some prophetic writings, but I'm not sure. We can be assured that he had the first five. But I don't know how much other than that. A couple other things about David. Do you realize? He never met Jesus. He never met Jesus. He never experienced the cross. Never even heard of it. Other than possibly seeing that Jesus would come someday. I don't know what his understanding of that was. We know that he, didn't un, he, didn't, he hadn't experienced the cross because Jesus hadn't come yet, hadn't died yet. He didn't know anything about the resurrection yet. My question is, what if David had seen those things? What if David lived to see those things with his own eyes? What would his response have been? If the things that we see how he reacted with just the first five books of the Bible if he had the whole thing and the crowning glory of Jesus coming to earth and dying on a cross for sins. Once, sure, go ahead. One of the times we were in China, that was the time after the, the Bibles had all been uh, confiscated. This pastor that <coughs> had an underground church quite successfully we got to see a written handwritten one sheet of paper about the size of Len's booklet it was in Chinese so I didn't know what it was I said what is that he said it's a chapter of Leviticus he said uh, that's all I've ever had to preach from in my entire ministry and his church was booming Take a look at what uh, David wrote. This is from Psalm 51. Again, hear David's words. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you're proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. 
Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You don't delight in sacrifice or I would bring it and you don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. And you feel in those words a man desperately in need of forgiveness and recognizing the need of that. Pleading with God, will you wash it away? Will you remove it? Will you forgive me? Can you forgive me? And going on and on with that. I think that if David had lived, if David had lived to see Jesus Christ come to earth and Jesus die on a cross and then be resurrected and understood the sacrifice that was made him and he had seen it and read it firsthand, I don't think that he would be able to get through a communion ever in his life without breaking forth into great dancing and great joy. I just, I just can't see it. I see this man who who praised and worshiped God for all these things, who desperately needed forgiveness. And when he, when, when, and I'm sure he saw that when he got to heaven, but he never experienced it on earth. I think if he ever experienced on earth what we understand of the fact that we deserve death, which he understood, but he got forgiveness when he, and he actually received God's forgiveness. Why? Because of what Jesus was going to do. I think that if he had ever seen what Jesus actually did do, it would just have blown him away. Now, as we get ready to take communion, do you realize that you and I have experienced something that David never experienced? We have the entire Word of God, Genesis all the way to Revelation. We see the common thread through that of God's plan of redemption that was going to be fulfilled and taken care of in the death of His own Son, Jesus Christ. The shed blood of Jesus his body broken for us to bring spiritual healing to us to forgive our sins and make us fit for heaven and to be able to walk in relationship. David didn't see that. Didn't get a chance to understand that the way we see it and the way we can understand it. We have a chance today. We have a chance to do this every day, but we publicly have a chance today to express thanksgiving. Jay did a wonderful job in, in, in prepping us this morning already and talking about the things that we had to be thankful for. Not just all the good stuff and, you know, like the family, which is all wonderful, but the really important thing, which is the fact that we can walk in relationship with God because Jesus came to earth, the sacrifice that was paid. We have a chance today publicly to remember what Jesus did on the cross for us as individuals. And let's recognize something that up until Jesus died, anybody that died 
walking with God before Christ came to earth. Never had the opportunity. Never had the opportunity or had the insight of understanding what God's ultimate plan of redemption was. Doesn't mean they weren't forgiven. Doesn't mean that they could feel clean before God. But there was not the sense in how easy that has become for us to understand because the Spirit takes what Jesus did and makes it real to us. We're so privileged to have that insight of what God has given us. The greatest gift of all, salvation and being right with Him. So I want to encourage today as we take communion that we do so with a grateful heart. With a grateful heart. It's interesting that we can have a lot of different viewpoints of communion and what it is. You don't have to come forward this morning and beat yourself up. You don't have to come to take communion this morning, beating yourself up and having this strong picture of all the junk that you've done in your life. That was all taken care of on the cross of Jesus Christ. And all that Jesus asked us to do was to do this in remembrance of me, in thanksgiving and recognizing that we have hope and we don't have to focus on all those things. It's enough to be like David. You notice when David said that, he didn't go into all the things he had done. He said, I just need forgiveness, Jesus. And we can go a step further. Not only do we need forgiveness, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. God, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making a way for me to be forgiven. You can say, again, I know that maybe for some of you, maybe the first time you've been with us when we actually have had communion here. And it's, it's interesting. I would just simply say this. We welcome anyone to come forward and take communion who has an understanding of what Jesus has done for you personally. That he died on a cross for your sin and that you have come to him and asked for forgiveness of that sin. Because it really doesn't make sense for someone to come forward and do something in remembrance if it's not something that they've done in their heart, which is accepting that forgiveness. I would just encourage you to, and you say, well, I've never, never done that before. I've never come to God for forgiveness. You can do that in the next five minutes if that's what you want to do. How do you do that? All you simply need to do is come, to, come and just pray. God, I'm like David. I need forgiveness. I need to be redeemed. I need to be washed clean. I've done a lot of garbage in my life. And you just ask him to forgive and recognize why he did it because of what Jesus did. And then you too can come forward and do it today, even freshness, remembrance of what Jesus did in a brand new way. Now, the way we're going to do this this morning is um, in a few seconds here, I'm going to come off the stage and my wife and I are going to be over on one side or the other and my mom and dad are going to be on the other side with communion on both sides. Um, we're going to have the worship team come forward first and take take communion. They're going to come up and they're going to play music and sing and we can, so you can sing like that. And then for the rest of the congregation, instead of doing what we always used to do and we'd serve, which is row by row, we're just going to be up here during the worship part and you can come as there's space or whatever and take communion. We'll make sure we wait long enough for everybody to have a chance. But so you don't need to wait for row three, aisle six or whatever, or whatever that happens to be. You just come, come when it fits for you in that sense there. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful this morning. And we are thankful that we, we actually have a holiday of Thanksgiving, which increasingly seems to be forgotten, but it isn't <laughs> in some ways. It's crowded by other things, Lord. But I pray that we would redeem the holiday of Thanksgiving for what it, what, it, what it truly gives us the opportunity, which is not just to be thankful for food and thankful for great homes and families and friends, which are all wonderful, Lord, but to be thankful for the thing that really means the most, which is that you've given us a way to walk in true relationship with you that you've given a way to be forgiven, to be righteous before you, and that's because of what Jesus did on the cross. And we come to you this morning 
with hearts of thanksgiving. We're grateful. And Lord, I pray that we would maybe get a small dose this morning of the emotional expression of what David had. That as we come this morning, that it wouldn't be just a, a ceremony that we go through, but there would be something in each one of our spirits that would greatly rejoice and be greatly thankful for what you've done and that we'd express that in our own personal way before you. We just thank you again for your, your wonderful gift of salvation, for the sacrifice that was made on the cross and what that means to each one of us. In Jesus' name.